This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. I'm Tim Hammett, co-founder and president at Visionary Wealth Advisors. Please join us for the Circuit of Success Summit, May 6th at the Four Seasons Hotel. The summit brings together the region's most influential leaders to share their ideas and insight into what defines success. This year's presenters include Mizzou coach Conzo Martin, Command Sergeant Tom Satterley, Bob Laughlin, Stacey Taubman, and Elizabeth Zucker. The Circuit of Success Summit, May 6th at Four Seasons Hotel. Get more information and register today at visionarywealthadvisors.com. You know, it's been said that success comes to those who wait. Belief started in the fourth grade. I believe that it's earned with the right attitude. And I had this nagging feeling. A great belief system. I was capable of so much more. And action every single day. In all the pursuits that we have in our lives, I think there's an element of suffering. When you mix that in with faith, courage, discipline, and most importantly, a vision. Never give up on yourself. That's when greatness happens. The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland. Welcome to the Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today I'm excited, man. We've been talking back and forth for a while, but Brandon Rumball, how you doing? I'm fantastic. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, my man. It's been uh, it's been good. You got a lot going on. Yeah, new dad, <laughs> new business, uh, <laughs> new life. I mean, it's 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 crazy. It seems like everything kind of happened in the last you know two or three months, and it's like, you know what, if I'm going to do one thing, why not just do it all? You know, do it, man. Let's do it. So we kind of just jumped in and uh, really went after all aspects of life, you know, family, uh, business, uh, you know, relationships, everything. I kind of just jumped at everything all at once. And, you know, it's a challenge, but, you know, we're taking everything day by day. Awesome. Well, uh, Brandon, just like on every Circuit of Success show, we always have our guests talk about what's made them the man they are today. And uh, we'd love to hear your story. You've got an amazing story and you're doing great things with a uh, with an amazing story. So, but what has made you the man you are today? Well, I mean, I, I think it's pretty obvious. Well, people can't see this, you know, the listeners, you know, whether they're just listening or they're, they're going to be watching, you know, either way, they're not going to be able to see, uh, you know, what made me the man that I am today. You know, from the chest up, I look like a normal person. Um, and, you know, still to this day, people even tell me, you know, they've been friends with me, you know, for the past six, seven years of my life. And they tell me they don't look at me any differently, even though I am different from most people. Um, okay. just because, you know, I try not to lean on that too much. Um, you know, I, I lost both of my legs in Afghanistan in 2010 and, you know, the experiences that I had in Afghanistan from, you know, the time I got there, September, 2010 to the time that I got hurt, November 29, 2010, um, really made me into the man that I am today. So it wasn't necessarily one, uh, you know, instance in particular, it was kind of a bunch of things that unfolded over those three months that really, you know, led me into this direction of my life and I'll kind of start, you know, from the beginning. So even before the Marine Corps, um, you know, I talk about this, you know, I speak all over the country, sometimes outside of the country. I've had a few opportunities to speak outside of the country, all over the world. And, you know, I start with my time before the Marine Corps, and really where it starts is, you know, I moved out of my parents' house when I was 15 years old. And, wow. you know, you would, you, you would hear that story a lot from like, you know, your grandparents or people that grew up in the, you know, the 1900s to like the right. 19, like it wasn't a big deal. Like we had different people back then. Like people didn't complain. People were tough. People went to war and came home and didn't talk about it. They didn't want any recognition. You know, there was different people back then. So for me to talk about this now, people don't think that this stuff still happens, you know, and, in 2005, I moved out of my parents' house at the age of 15 
and moved an hour away and bounced around from home to home, from friend to friend that I met along the way and still managed to, you know, graduate from high school. And I graduated high school and, uh, you know, wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life. And in 2007, I really didn't understand how the whole college process worked. As crazy as that sounds, I didn't understand what, you know, a FAFSA was, what student aid was. I didn't know what, you know, didn't understand how tuition worked and, you know, room and board and, you know, that you had to buy your own books and do all those things. It's, it's kind of crazy. Um, right. It's just, you know, in my world growing up, I, I knew what pretty much all the, you know, any drug was, I knew what alcohol was. I knew, you know, I knew about all that stuff. Yeah. But I didn't know about, you know, the other, the other. So what thing. part of the country was this? Where were you from? So um, I grew up in uh, Uniontown, Pennsylvania. It's okay. a small town in Fayette County about uh, 40 miles south of Pittsburgh. Okay. So 40 miles south of Pittsburgh. And I don't know if you're familiar with Morgantown, West Virginia, where West Virginia yeah. is. Yeah. I'm about 20 minutes from there. Okay. So north of there. So right on the PA, West Virginia border. Um, and, you know, I'm not, you know, I don't tell people this because I don't want them to feel bad for me. And I'm not really putting blame on my parents or, you know, it just, it is what it is. You know, even at 15 years old, I still had control my life to make decisions. So I can't solely put the blame on my parents, um, you know, for, for the way that I was brought up and the things that had happened. Sure. You know, at some point we all have control and we really have control from 18 on. So, you know, like I said, I'm not telling you this to, to make my parents look like, well, no, I, I, they had their own life. They did their own thing. It just, it is what it is. My life happened the way that it happened and I wouldn't change it for anything because it, yep. it made me out to be what I am today. So, so what do you think that'll do for you as a dad? I mean, when you, when you look at your little baby now and I've seen you with the pictures, the precious little baby, what would, yeah. uh, what's that change you think? Um, and once again, this is going to kind of, it might sound a little harsh, but growing up, I found out what not to do. So yeah. I know everything not to do with my child. And to me, that's just as important as, you know, learning the right thing to do, you know, understanding what the wrong things are too, because you, you know, you've been there, you've done that, you know, what not right. to do have to make those same mistakes. So I feel like I'm set up and I'm in a position to where, um, I really know what I need to do and I just have to do it. You know, it's as simple as, as putting those things in into place and, uh, putting them into Remy's life and, you know, making sure that she has every opportunity that, that she needs to be yeah. successful, that she has somebody that cares for her, that she has the right tools in front of her, that she has somebody teaching her, uh, not just how to act, but teaching her about life and, you know, what's going to come and understanding that, it's not, it's not going to be easy. And if life is easy, then you're not doing something, you know, right. life could be hard. Like people think that life should be easy. Like they think that if you're super successful and you have all this money and you're rich, that life is so easy, not realizing that the most successful people in the world are the most stressed out people in the world on a day to day. That's right. Like, That's right. I don't know why people correlate, you know, money and success to being like this happy, peaceful, calm, living life. Like it's not like that at all. People right. are delusional when they think that. So, you know, I, I just want to make her understand that, you know, life is always going to be hard, um, but it's a good thing, um, you know, to understand what, it, what it's like to fight for something and to, to work hard and to have tough times. Those are what really make people appreciate uh, things in life, you know, things that we often take for granted. So talk to us about that. So then what was you say it was in uh, 2007, as you said, you joined the military? Uh, November 13th, November 14th, 2007. Wow. That's my birthday. No way. That was my 30th birthday, November 14th, 2007. That is crazy. Yes. I just crazy. 
turned 18 years old. I graduated high school in the spring and then uh, tried out college for about a month, got the first tuition <laughs> and realized that I couldn't, nope. couldn't afford to be there. So I said, what are my options? There's a war going on. Why not join the Marine Corps and, and see what I can do? You know, and I knew that, you know what, I could, even if I didn't like the Marine Corps or I didn't like the military, I could at least tough it out for four years and then go back to school. Right. I'd still be, I'd be 22 years old, graduate college at 26. So at 26 years old, at, at 21, it might seem like I'm behind my peers, but at 26, I'd be well ahead of my peers because right. I would have had my experience in the military and a college degree to go on top of that. So That's right. either way, it would have played out, you know, to be, you know, it, it, it would have been good. So I joined the Marine Corps. Um, you know, did boot camp, went to the school of infantry, became a mortarman in the infantry, uh, was, a, uh, assigned to first battalion, eighth Marines out of Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. Uh, got there, did my first workup and, uh, got sent to Iraq in, uh, 2009, uh, okay. my deployment, uh, at this point, the war in Iraq was pretty much over. Um, didn't really do much while I was there. Um, got heavy in the lifting weights. I think I left there benching like 450 pounds. Um, you know, didn't, didn't do my job at all when I was there. Right. Like there was no war going on. Okay. And in my mind, and this is, this will all make sense later, but in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, this isn't what I joined the Marine Corps for. Like I joined the Marine Corps to go to war. You know what right. I mean? Like we're wasting all this taxpayer money for me to sit over here, eat four meals a day, go to the gym three times a day and go swimming. Like, what am I doing with my life? Now, just to, we'll, we'll fast forward really quickly to kind of have this all make sense. Fast forward another year to Afghanistan, and I would never want to wish that on anybody. You know what I mean? Like, I think back to my time in Iraq, and I'm like, well, I wish my Afghanistan deployment was like this. Right. Because you don't want to see your friends get hurt. You don't want to see your friends die. You don't want to see innocent women and children get killed and get hurt. Like, nobody wants to see that stuff, but I was wishing for that stuff back in 2009, you know? So it, it, it's crazy how things You'll be careful what you wish for, right? Exactly. You know, it, it, exactly. And you know, I'm a firm believer that every single thing that happens in your life, good or bad happens for a reason. Um, I don't know why, you know, I'm, I wouldn't think that I'm like a very like spiritual person, but that is something that I truly believe in, whether it's yep. good or bad, it happens for a reason. And it's like, maybe that's a way of like pushing you away from something or pushing you towards something else. Um, so were you, you know, always that way though? I mean, like when you're, when the, when your accident happened in, uh, in Afghanistan, did you think that way? Like, well, things no. happen for a reason. No, not at all. I okay. mean, I'm sure I, you'll get to that too, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, like maybe, you know, I went to Iraq at the time that I did when there was nothing going on, because if I would have went in 04, 05, when it was crazy, I would have got killed and I wouldn't be here. You know what I mean? So like, that's true. I think about this stuff now, you know, and then, you know, even when I've talked to people all the time, I meet people and they're like, you know, I was going to go into the military and, you know, I broke my leg and I couldn't get in. And the first thing I tell them, like they say, Oh, I feel bad, you know, that I couldn't serve my country. And I'm like, you probably broke your leg right before you're about to go in service because something was saying that if you would have went overseas, you would have died. You know, you right. might not have been here. So, you yeah. know, take it as a blessing. Like nobody, you know, good on you for wanting to do that, but nobody's mad at you because you didn't serve. You know yeah. what I mean? So, you know, just stuff like that. But it's true. My, I try to do that on a much, 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 much smaller level. But when the, you know, the guy or gals in front of you driving slow and you miss the red lights, it's like, okay, that saved me from an accident probably. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And in the moment, we're not so forgiving. You know what I mean? Right. But maybe 10 minutes later, after we calm down and we quit cursing, yeah. you know, we, we think, hey, you know, maybe, maybe this happened for a reason. That's right. 
and I feel like as I get older, I tend to be more like understanding with situations like that, yeah. you know, as, yeah. as I get older and I get, you know, more experience in life. Um, I tend to be more easygoing and, and things seem to go a lot easier because, you know, I, in my mind, I have this, like, like this idea that like people live perfect lives and like nothing goes wrong and everything yeah. goes away. That's not how, like, it doesn't work that way. Right. You know, it just doesn't, right. yep. you know, the sooner you realize that, um, the more enjoyable and the better you're better off you're going to be. This is Brett Gilliland with circuit of success. We'll be right back. I'm Tim Hammett, co-founder and president at Visionary Wealth Advisors. Please join us for the Circuit of Success Summit, May 6th at the Four Seasons Hotel. The summit brings together the region's most influential leaders to share their ideas and insight into what defines success. This year's presenters include Mizzou coach Conzo Martin, Command Sergeant Tom Satterley, Bob Laughlin, Stacey Taubman, and Elizabeth Zucker. The Circuit of Success Summit, May 6th at Four Seasons Hotel. Get more information and register today at visionarywealthadvisors.com. Welcome back to the Circuit of Success. I'm Brett Gilliland, your host. Let's dive back into this week's guest. So talk to us about that deployment then. You you said it was uh, September of 2010. And yeah. then, uh, so you weren't there long on this deployment. You were no, there just was, a couple months. We're halfway through, you know, in the Marine Corps. And, and honestly, one of the reasons that I joined the Marine Corps, not because, you know, I was a very athletic and, you know, competitive person. So I felt like the Marine Corps was a good fit for me. But also at the time, the army was doing like 15 to 18 month deployments. And I'm like, crazy. Like, like to put somebody in an environment for two, almost two years straight. Like that's crazy. You know, the Marine Corps they're you know, they do seven month deployments. They do seven months, you know, in, a, in another country and come home. You know, they might be home for a minimum of six months before they go back overseas. And I'm like, that, that, okay. that sounds about right. Like right. that would make sense. You know, you, have, you hear about these guys committing suicide and all this stuff, you know, I couldn't imagine them being in Afghanistan for two years straight. It's yeah, it'd be, be tough. It'd be crazy. So, um, you know, I did my work up, you know, got promoted uh, to corporal, became a squad leader. And, uh, you know, at 20 years old, my I was in charge of other human beings. Like my sole job was to train them and get them ready to go to war and bring them home safely. So at 20 years old, you know, I had these other lives that I was responsible for. And at the time, you don't think about it. You're thinking, oh, this is the Marine Corps. This is how stuff goes. But now looking back on it, I'm like, that's kind of crazy. That it's a massive responsibility. I was, they were trusting me with their life, you know. Um, so we did all that, did the work up and got sent to Afghanistan. Uh, we, you know, 60 of us hopped on helicopters and they flew us from this big base in Afghanistan, Camp Leatherneck, into the middle of uh, nowhere in Helmand Province and dropped us off and said, hey, you know, walk. Uh, it was a couple kilometers this way and you know, there's a unit up there uh, that you're going to be relieving. They've been there for, you know, maybe a month or so. Uh, the base had just been been constructed. It's not 100% done. You know, it's just this, you know, temporary, you know, outpost. You know, no running water, really no electricity, no showers, no bathrooms, none of that stuff. Um, and people don't realize that 2010 in Afghanistan, that's what we had. You know, we didn't have, you know, the common things right. that you'd think that we would have. Um, so, you know, we set up shop there and, uh, you know, our sole job was to find the Taliban and, you know, push them out of that area and keep the, the locals safe. Um, the local people, you know, contrary to what people believe the locals there, you know, 98% of them wanted us there and they hated the Taliban. 
Like these people are like, they're good people, simple people. They just want to live their life and, you know, be with their family and not have any trouble. And, you know, they don't want to see anybody get killed. They don't want to hurt anybody. They just want to do their own thing, farm and, yeah. and just hang out, you know? And I don't know why, but a lot of people, and it, it makes me pretty mad sometimes people over here in our country, they think that like everybody over there is just like horrible. Right. And it's, it's quite frankly, the exact opposite. Like the way these people are brought up in, in their culture and, and how they live their life, like they would, like it's in their code that they would give their life for a complete stranger. Okay. Think about that. Like, I don't know too many people over here that, no. that if I was in a situation to where it was my life or their life, that they would give up their life for mine being that they don't know me and we're complete strangers. You know, I just, I just doesn't don't happen. Know. Doesn't happen. But that's like, that's like common for them over there. So, you know, once I got over there and I started to meet these people and, and realize that, you know, these are, these are good people. They just, they don't want the bad here. So our job was to get the bad out of the area and, you know, keep them safe and, and just make sure that they can keep on doing whatever it is that they're doing with their life. So we got teamed up with uh, like 20 Afghan soldiers. Uh, they were great people, uh, hated the Taliban more than we did. Um, hmm. They just wanted them gone. Uh, they wanted their country back. Um, they were great. They loved us. They would have died for us. Um, they fought right beside us. Never had one issue. They were just amazing people. Um, so, you know, we get set up, we start, you know, running our missions and doing patrols. And, you know, the first time we went out on a patrol, you know, just as, as, as our platoon, I'll never forget this. Um, we were constantly getting shot at from this one building and we decided to, you know, blow up the building. You know, we blow up the building. They can't shoot at us anymore. That's right. You know, they it was logical. Yeah. So we do that. And, uh, our battalion wants us to check out the building and we're like, well, we blew it up. There's nothing there. You know, that, that's the end of it. And they're like, no, we want you to, to, to really go check this place out and see what there is to find, gather any intel, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Good stuff. So we got myself, my platoon sergeant, six other Marines. We go down to the area and we search the building, don't find anything. And uh, we start walking back to the base and it's getting dark. So we decided to take a shortcut, which was probably, not a good idea at the time, but we didn't want to be outside in the dark in Afghanistan. You can't see the ground. Then you really can't see if there's IEDs on the ground. And it, it just makes everything a million times harder. Sure. So our platoon sergeant decided, you know, we're going to take a shortcut. So we do. I remember I'm the third guy in the patrol. Staff Sergeant Silva is the fourth guy in the patrol. And then there's two Marines uh, behind him, two Marines in front of me. We're walking down this, it's almost like a hallway, but there's like mud, mud walls on each side, courtyards, basically where houses are. And if we turn around this, we turn this corner, as soon as we turn the corner, an explosion goes off and I get kind of pushed like through a wall. And I, I feel like I get knocked out for, you know, maybe a minute or whatever it is. And I come to, and I stand up and I realize, you know, I did, it wasn't me that stepped on an IED or was it a mortar round or what happened or a grenade. So the dust settles and I start looking around. And I realized that Staff Sergeant Silva had stepped on an IED. He's like six foot deep in this hole where the explosion was. Um, it had taken his right leg above the knee. You know, stomach is blown open. You know, left arm's hanging there. Um, you know, first time I'd ever experienced anything like this in my life. I'm 20. I think I'm 21 at this time. Just turned 21. And I'm thinking, this is crazy. Like, this is real. Like, this yeah. is happening. You know? Like, you don't really think about it. And, and, and in my mind, I'm thinking... Silva's been in the Marine Corps for almost 20 years. If it's happening to him, it definitely can happen to me. Right. Like I'm, 
just some boot compared to him. Like I've been in the Marine Corps for 20 minutes, you know? Right. And uh, I started thinking like real, and then, you know, training kicks in, you know, we call for a medevac, we put tourniquets on and we're talking to him. And one thing that really stuck with me forever was, you know, the whole time that he was laying there, he's talking to us and he's asking us if we're okay. And I'm like, you know, so he's alive and conscious and knows what's going on at this time. Oh yeah. And he's like, Rumba, are you okay? Chavis, are you okay? Walker, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, we're good. But, uh, you know, you, we, we should be asking you if you're okay. And it showed me how selfless he was. And it's kind of crazy. But at that moment, I thought about my previous 20 years of living and how selfish of a person that I was and how I could not continue to live my life like that. And I felt like everything had happened in my life because of the type of person that I was, because I was selfish, because I didn't always do the right thing, because I was always worried about myself and looking out for myself. And I didn't really take into consideration other people that were around me and realizing that it was like at that moment that I realized like our purpose in life is to serve other people, not to serve ourselves. Yep. And if you do that, guess what? In return, you're going to be taken care of. Simple as that. So, you know, I, th- I thought that's kind of crazy. Like, you know, he's about to die. We thought he was going to die. Um, and he's asking us how we are. So, you know, fast forward an, an hour, it takes an hour, about an hour for a helicopter to get to us. Cause we were just so far out there. Um, you know, I, I pick him up, try to throw him on my back to carry him. And, you know, I'm just this little guy and he's, you know, six foot four, 250 pounds. Um, you know, I carried him as far as I could. We got him on a stretcher, got him to the helicopter, helicopter takes off. And I remember I'm just like standing there covered in his blood, you know, thinking about what had just happened. And I'm like, you know, this is, this is real life, you know, one wrong step and you're either losing a leg, both your legs, both your legs, both your arms, or you're losing your life. Like this is real, you know, how do you prepare for that? And you, you can't, I mean, there's nothing that you can really do to stop that type of thing from happening because it, it, it's just going to happen. It's just a matter of, of who it's going to happen to him. Sure. When, you know? So the next two months, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty crazy. You know, so real quick, let me interrupt. So I got to ask did he survive. So he did survive. Awesome. Um, we didn't hear for about a couple of days until he had made it back. Cause like, you know, he was still like in and out, you know, he would, he was going to survive. He wasn't going to survive. He had died. They brought him back. And then, you know, he was stable. He wasn't stable. And they really didn't want to tell us anything until they were sure. And basically they weren't going to be for sure until they got him back to the U S they could right. get him to a hospital that could really truly care for him. So about a week later, they got him back to the U S and they're like, Hey, we think he's going to be all right. And we're like, okay, good stuff. And, you know, at that point, you know, fast forward, you know, two more months to November 29, 2010, when I'd gotten hurt, um, I'd either been the guy in front of or the guy behind somebody that had stepped on an IED on like three or four other occasions. So, you know, we had found like 90 IEDs in the first 75 days that we were there. You know, we had Afghan army guys, Afghan army soldiers that were stepping on IEDs. It was just, everybody was getting hurt, you know, um, man. And those obviously you can't see anywhere. I mean, there's no like sign of them. There's no like hole that you say, Oh, it looks like it's covered up or anything. I mean, yes and no, but like, you know, we might get into a firefight and you know, we're running around, we're trying to find cover. We're doing this. The last looking at the ground. Exactly. So like if you're looking very, very hard, if you're looking for an IED, chances are you can find them. Okay. But sometimes, you know, they make them, you know, we have metal detectors. And sometimes they make them with very low amounts of metal and the metal detectors can't pick them up. You know what I mean? So it's almost like playing the lottery, you know? And I assume you get comfortable, right? If you're on a three mile walk or something, I mean, uh, eventually you kind of get into motion and just feeling more and more comfortable. Is that true? 
Yeah, and and it gets to a point where like like if you worry, like you'll kill yourself worrying. You yeah. know what I mean? You just you just got to say, hey, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna do it. If I get hurt, I get hurt. I mean, it's either gonna happen or it's not gonna happen. You know. So yeah. you do your best to avoid it. You try to spot the IEDs. I mean, there's certain signs, certain things that you could pick out. Um, you know, we were pretty good at finding them. We found a, a lot of IEDs. You know, we stopped a lot of people from stepping on IEDs. But you know, there's there's you know a handful of ones that you just you miss that you can't right. get, um, and it, it it just depends. So so uh, now are you guys out on a mission for your deal? I mean, how does uh, how did your your deal happen? So we were actually living. We had our base that was on top of a hill. And we had villages on each side, and uh, we had decided to set up a secondary base in one of the villages. So we would rotate sections. So like one section would be up on the hill at the main base, and then another section would be down in the house in the village. So it was my section's turn to go down into the house, and we would stay there for a couple of days and run missions. Um, so we swapped out with the other section, and uh, we had just done our first patrol in the village. We had gotten back. We were debriefing, talking about everything. We sent out a group of Marines to do a security patrol um, around the building uh, just to, you know, make sure Taliban weren't putting in IEDs or, you know, doing anything crazy. And within about 10 minutes of that uh, four or five man team being out, we heard an explosion, knew what it was. You know, we've heard it so many times. We're sitting by the radio, you know, waiting uh, for a call to come over the radio. Uh, it does, you know, Lance Corporal Chavis stepped on an IED. You know, he's missing both of his legs above the knees. We need a medevac. We need support. So we call for a medevac. I grab a team, grab a, a stretcher. We sprint down to where he was a couple hundred meters away. And uh, he's inside of kind of like a courtyard, one entry, one exit. And uh, that's when we realized that this attack was very well planned and, and thought out. Okay. They knew that if they could get somebody to step on an IED, that we wouldn't leave them in there. With one entry and one exit, you know, we have to send somebody in that way to get them to yeah. pull out the wounded. So what do you think is coming next? There's probably... 10 more IEDs in that general vicinity of the Marine that just got hurt. So they're hoping that we send somebody else in to go get him. We send in the medevac crew and then they step on an IED and then we send in the crew to get them and they step on an IED. Yeah. That's basically what they hope to happen. So, you know, as a leader, you have to make a decision. You know, I could have stood on security, waited for the helicopter to land and sent one of my junior Marines in to, you know, start working on the Marine, get him on a stretcher, get him prepped. But I thought, you know, as a leader, you lead from the front, you know, and, you know, I, I felt like I had to be that guy to go in. So I grabbed the stretcher and, you know, started walking in towards him, got within about 15 meters of him and stepped on a secondary IED, took my left leg below the knee, uh, you know, right leg at the hip, uh, you know, broke my arm, left arm, collapsed both of my lungs, uh, you know, lost the tip of my trigger finger. Um, my stomach was blown open. Just, you know, all, all, all sorts of uh, anything you could think that, that could happen, you know, besides me dying pretty much happened. Um, so at this point, I didn't look down yet. Right. I'm stand up again. And I'm thinking maybe I'm just like stunned from the concussion. Uh, you know, my, my legs are gone. I'm going to die. What am I going to do? And once again, you know, everything started running through my brain. You know, everything that I'd done up to that point in my life and, you know, just the type of person I was and I wasn't really comfortable with, you know, my life ending the way that it did. I said, you know, if I make it through this, you know, Brandon's going to be a different person from here on out. And it sucks that it took that, but, you know, sometimes we just need a wake-up call and I guess 
that was my wake up call and it is what it is. Talking about, you know, what made me into the man that I am today, you know, losing both of my legs really did that for me. It really showed me the type of person I was, the type of person I wasn't, and the type of person that I needed to be and how I needed to get to that point in my life. And I said, you know what, if I'm gonna do this, I gotta do this. This is Brett Gilliland with Circuit of Success. We'll be right back. I'm Tim Hammett, co-founder and president at Visionary Wealth Advisors. Please join us for the Circuit of Success Summit, May 6th at the Four Seasons Hotel. The summit brings together the region's most influential leaders to share their ideas and insight into what defines success. This year's presenters include Mizzou coach Conzo Martin, Command Sergeant Tom Satterley, Bob Laughlin, Stacey Taubman, and Elizabeth Zucker. The Circuit of Success Summit, May 6th at Four Seasons Hotel. Get more information and register today at visionarywealthadvisors.com. Welcome back to the Circuit of Success. I'm Brett Gilliland, your host. Let's dive back into this week's guest. So, you know, I'm laying there. They start working on me, you know, put tourniquets on me. You know, I can tell from the look in their eyes that they don't think that I'm going to make it. This is the real deal, yeah. Yeah. Helicopter lands. They put me and Chavis on stretchers. Uh, they throw us on a helicopter, and I pass out, and I wake up. What I, th- I think it was like maybe 10, 15, 14 days later, back in wow. the so we had went from a hospital in Afghanistan to a hospital in Germany and then back to, to Walter Reed where we did our recovery for the next two years. Crazy. Unbelievable. Yeah. Well, man, thank you for your service and uh, all you've done for our country. It goes without saying. It's amazing yeah. what you guys do and the stuff that people like me, man, we just, we get up every day and I get to thank God for people like you literally every day and we say our prayers with the kids and that's one of the things we're thankful for, man, is people like you. So thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. And, you know, I like to tell everybody, you know, just like, you know, you, I don't know what you do for a living, but just like you do your job every day, I was just doing my job. You know, I was was getting paid to do a job. It's not like maybe if I was over there volunteering, doing it for free, I would be like, yeah, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe send me a card and say thank you. But I was getting paid to do a job just like you get paid to do a job, but um, I appreciate it very much. So, I mean, I have, you know, a thousand questions that we don't have time for, but we'll we'll just dive into some of these questions is like, what is it to the person right now that maybe, maybe they're exercising, maybe they're driving down the road and they want to give up on something. I mean, cause this could have gone, what you've done with it, I think is that's the story, right? That's the inspiring part. Everything before inspiring during that you even survived inspiring, but I think what you've done afterwards, and again, we don't really know each other, right? But yeah. that's the part that inspires me when I, when I see stuff from you every day. And, and it's amazing to me when you think about people and they, they want to give up, right? We want to quit. We get tough news at work or at home. Yeah. What advice would you have for those people? I, I mean, for me, the biggest thing, and this is going to sound so crazy because I feel like you might have even been taught this, but I feel like so many of us are taught throughout our whole life not to compare ourselves to other people. I mean, how many times have you heard that? Yeah, a lot. I think it's complete BS. Okay. When you're going through something, you know, you, a divorce or, you know, the loss of a loved one, or you, you, you lost your job or, or something. What, what, what I do in, in times like that is I think of other people. I compare my situation to what other people have went through, you know, similar or worse. And I, I think to myself, you know what, they made it through it. So why can't I, you know what I mean? Like totally. We, we get so down on ourselves and, you know, we play this game where it's like, Oh, you know, how many times I've said, I've done this to myself and in, in, in the heat of the moment. And I'm sure you have too, where you're like, Oh, this would only happen to me. 
You know what I mean? Like, right. This only happens to me. Like, of and, course that's going to happen, right? Yeah. Like, and in the moment we truly believe that. Okay. We do. I, I, at least I feel like I do. And then I think like that was pretty dumb for me to say, because um, this happens to a lot of people and regardless of how bad it is, somebody else has went through worse and found a way to get through that adversity and make something of their life. Yeah. Like me, I lost both of my legs. You know what? That sucks. Sure. It's, it sucks. Life is hard. I have to do things differently, but guess what? I was at the hospital with a guy that lost both of his legs and both of his arms. And he got up every day and went to therapy and he's living a normal life. He's getting married. He's doing all these things. So what excuses do I have? You know? Yeah. No, I know you're right. And by the size of those guns, you can still beat the crap out of me. I mean, no, I no. <laughs> Dude, since I started the, the new business, I've lost like 20 pounds. I go to the gym on the weekends. I, that's one thing I need to get back into. Right. That's one thing I've been struggling with finding the time, you know, exactly. Um, Absolutely. I myself, oh, I don't have the time for it. And then I, I see some of these guys that are running multi hundred million dollar a year companies yeah. and they find time to go to the gym. That's right. You know? So I'm trying to figure it out. You know, I'm working like this morning. I got up at five 30 and went for a bike ride this morning, you know, before I, I, I went to work. So right. it's a start, you know what I mean? It's a start. And we just got to kind of get out there and just start, you know, trying new things and start comparing yourself to other people. Like how do you know where you stand in life if you don't compare yourself to somebody else? Well, it's true. I mean, and I, I, you, I just wrote it down here, remind myself, but I, I compare myself to three things, my past, my peers and my potential. Yep. Right. Those three P's. And I think that's a big one is your peers. Like you just said, man, it's, if I know what other wealth management firms are doing, yeah. I can compare myself to be a top wealth management firm. Yeah. Right. But if I don't, I just put my head in the sand. I'm never going to know what they do. I'm probably going to hold myself back, which is therefore going to hold our clients back. Yep. And uh, that's not what we're about. So it doesn't have to be negative. You know what I mean? Like people think of it as like a negative thing and it's like, you know what? It, like, even if you're comparing yourself to your competitors, even if you're, you know, it wouldn't be out of the ordinary for you to maybe reach out to them for advice or, 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 or model something that they're doing after what you're trying to do. Right. Yep. It's not a bad thing to take bits and pieces from even people that you're, you're competing against. You know what I mean? It, it, shows, Absolutely. it shows humility and the fact that you're willing to, to say, you know what, I'm good at this but they're really good at this. And this is, I'm kind of not really good at this. So I need to work on this and I'm going to see how they're, they're making it happen. Yep. And I'm going to learn. implement that in my life. And that, that's another thing. You yeah. Know, so talk cool. to us about what you've learned about, uh, I, I would call it perseverance, courage. I mean, my goodness. I mean, you're in the hospital for two years. Um, I'm sure all sorts of thoughts, right? I'm sure there was anxiety. Maybe, maybe there was fear, but how do you learn about perseverance? How do you, how do you get yourself, pick yourself up off the ground and, and keep going? you know, once again, for me, it was being at the hospital, you know, for those first seven months, it was, it was, it was the worst time of my yeah. life. You know, like nothing, you know, woe is me. This would only happen to me. Like God hates me. My life's over. Like I'm not going to be able to do anything. I'm 21 years old and I'm handicapped in a wheelchair. I'm never going to get married, never going to have kids, never going to do any of these things. You know what I mean? And those are real thoughts. There is always going to be somebody more successful than you. Yes. You will always, no matter what you do, no matter what industry you're in, no matter how much money you make or, or whatever it is that you're trying to do, there is always going to be somebody for you to look up to. So why wouldn't you look up to them? Right. Unless you're just this arrogant person that thinks that, you know what? Got it all figured out. Yep. Like I don't need their help. I don't need right. to look up to anybody. You know what? I'm only making 50 million a year and he's making 500 because he's a douchebag and he steps on everybody. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Like, that, that, that's the only way that that makes sense. You know, it's, it's just, it's ridiculous. And I, I kind of got out of that and I realized that 
you know what? I need to start looking at the things that I do have and be grateful that I'm still alive because I should be dead. I need to look at it as a blessing uh, and almost as like a, a wake up call. You know what I mean? Like I've been living the first 21 years of my life the wrong way. Yeah. So now I have a, a, an opportunity to start clean, to start over, to, to do things the right way. And I'm still, you know, like even to this day, like I get down on myself, you know, like I always feel like, and this might be, I think it's a blessing in disguise to where like, I always feel like I'm never doing enough. You know what I mean? I don't know. I just feel like no matter what I do, right. like, you know what? I worked 16 hours last night. I should have worked 17. You know what I mean? Like it's just never not, good enough, never enough. And you know, my wife gets on me about it. She's like, you know, you do so much. You need to, you know, you need to, you know, let yourself, you know, chill a little bit. And, you know, and I just, I get in this thing where it's like, I need to do more. I need to do more. This yeah. is never good enough. This is never good enough. And it, it, it can be detrimental at times, you know what I mean? But, you know, you just got to find a balance. And that, that's what I'm working through right now is, is finding a way to balance everything. And even, you know, outside of business with life, you know what I mean? Like what I think is truly going to help me is the birth of our daughter is realizing that you have to take this little thing and like raise it into this like respectful, like honorable, like contributing member of society. You have to take it from nothing and make this thing into something that is just amazing. And you just, you can't do that overnight with a baby. No. You can't. And it's a test, man. I'll give you the advice as a father of four with a teenager. Now it's like, man, it's just, you know, they don't give you a rule book when you leave the hospital. So it's just every day is something new that you continue to do. But it's, it's I always say it's the toughest job in the world, but it's the best job in the world. Yeah. Uh, by far. So talk to us about that self-talk. I mean, we all, I think most successful people, we all have self-talk. And at, do you remember a point where like you had that defining moment to where the self-talk and maybe it was 90% negative, 10% positive, mm -hmm. how that, how it flipped and, and maybe why it flipped? I, I think for me, it was like, I think we're, it's hard for us to accept the fact that maybe like we're not doing like to accept the fact that maybe we're not doing everything that we should be doing. You know what I mean? Like it's easy for us, for people to say, you know, to me, like, Oh, you know, you lost both your legs, the situation that you have, like what you're doing right now is enough. You know what I mean? Right. Things will happen as they happen. You know, right. no rush. I don't need to, you know, I don't need to kill myself working and doing all these things and, you know, trying to find every excuse that I could find um, as to why, you know, maybe I wasn't as successful as I should be at that time. Yep. And then I realized that I was just being lazy. You know what I mean? There's, I was just being lazy, you know, right. like, and you know, sleeping in until, you know, nine 30, my excuse was, well, you know, I was in the hospital for two years and I really wasn't on a sleep schedule. You know, they'd wake me up every two hours. So that's why I sleep in. No, I sleep right. in because I'm lazy. You know, right. I, I don't want to, cause I don't want to, who wants to wake up at five in the morning? Yeah. Nobody. nobody. Right. Nobody. You know what I mean? It's like, I was telling myself that for years, like, Oh, you know, that's just my thing. I'm not a morning person. No, I'm just lazy. Right. You know what I mean? There's no, nobody's a morning person. Yeah. No, it's very hard to do that. There's no doubt about it. So what yeah. would you say, uh, Brandon Rumball's strengths are today when you look at all you've been through and, and the man you are, are, and the man you are becoming, cause I think we're always becoming, um, what are those things? I think for me, what, what's helped me tremendously is my, my openness to, to like want to learn, you know what I mean? Like I have no problem admitting right now, more recently, you know, in the last, you know, six months to a year that, you know, I might not know everything and I'm okay with asking 
somebody, uh, you know, what the correct answer is or, or, or maybe asking for advice and realizing that, you know, there really isn't a, a dumb question to ask. Like you truly don't know the answer to something, just ask. Right. Like not everybody knows everything. Um, and it's okay to, to depend on other people sometimes. Um, you know, just like in business, like in your business, you have, you put people in place around you that maybe are better at things than, than what you're better at, or, or, you know, they do things better than you do in, in certain things. And that's how you, you build a strong business because there's no possible way for one person to do everything. It's just not, no. it's just not, not how it works. It just can't be that way. I mean, you'll be tapped out eventually. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, it was just the, the willingness and the openness to accept that I don't have it all figured out that I'm never going to have it all figured out that I'm constantly going to be, you know, relying on people for advice and, you know, guidance. And, you know, even in 20 years down the road, if I made, you know, $5 billion, there's still going to be somebody that I can depend on or somebody that I can rely on to give me advice to get me to the next level. Yeah. Always. And it took me a while to realize that it was like, I was afraid to like admit that I didn't have it all figured out. And I'm like, now I know nobody has it all figured out. Where can our listeners find more of Brandon Rumball? Where are you at? Uh, Instagram at Brandon Rumball, uh, Facebook, just first and last name, Brandon Rumball. Um, you know, if people want to reach out, Instagram is probably the best one. Yep. You know, send a message. You know, Hence, that's why we're here today. Yeah. I mean, I, I talk to everybody. Um, you know, I, I, I just love meeting new people. Um, yep. Any way that we can, you know, network, reach out, help each other, anything you need, you know, feel free to reach out, ask me any questions. Um, I'm just always up for meeting new people yep. and making new And friends. you're speaking now, man. So, I mean, people are uh, looking for a speaker for a yeah. great meeting coming up. I mean, they can find you on there, reach out to you on there and have you come in and uh, give a nice little yep. speech, right? Yeah. And my website is just brandonrumball.com. Um, okay. Just go there. And then my, my uh, engineering firm is brsolutions.us. Very simple. So brandonrumball.com or brsolutions.us. I like it, man. Well, Brandon, thanks so much for your time. And, and uh, like I said earlier, man, thank you for your service and what you did for our country. It's guys like you, man, that take risk every single day and give me and my family the freedoms we have. And we're very thankful for that. I appreciate you, sir. Thank you for having me. It was awesome. Thanks for listening to The Circuit of Success. I am your host, Brett Gilliland. And each and every single week, we're going to bring you a great guest, whether that's a, a business leader, a professional sports star, an author, whatever it is, we're going to bring you as much as we possibly can to help you live your best life. And so we look forward to bringing that to you every single week. If you want more on our firm, Visionary Wealth Advisors, check us out online at visionarywealthadvisors.com. You can also find the show's website at circuitofsuccess.com. We'll be back next week with another great guest on the Circuit of Success. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.